Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hey everyone, it's Mickey here, and this week on the podcast. I'm speaking to Dr. Nikki Kay about her new book, Hormones, Health and Human Performance. So you may remember Nikki was on the show close to two years ago, actually, and last time we discussed in depth the issue of relative energy deficiency in sport for both males and females. And whilst we definitely uh, talk about this topic in today's podcast, this time around we take a step back and talk about the role of hormones in health and how they underlie all of our physiology. We discuss how hormones change across the life cycle, the risks associated with cardiovascular disease for women, and how hormones play a major role in that, the diurnal rhythm of hormones, and how this impacts on what we might read on our blood tests, how the environment and our health behaviors can both enhance hormone function or work against it, and even the idea of testing hormones themselves may not give us a complete picture of what's actually going on underneath. Nikki is an expert in exercise endocrinology and has such a vast understanding of this topic, I think you'll really get a lot from it. For those of you unfamiliar with Nikki, she's a medical doctor with expertise in the field of exercise endocrinology. Graduating from Cambridge University, she's an honorary clinical lecturer in the Division of Medicine, University College of London. Nikki's clinical and research endocrine work is particularly involved with athletes, dancers, exercises, with a focus on relative energy deficiency in sport, and with women experiencing perimenopause and menopause. And in the podcast as well, we discuss some of the pros and cons with hormone replacement therapy. Spoiler alert, Nikki is a big fan. So just before we get into the podcast, and I will pop a link to how you can get Nikki's book in the show notes and also contact Nikki directly through her website. I'd just like to remind you the best way to support the podcast is to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and um, leave us a five-star review. That would be amazing because other people would have access to the information that the experts who come on the show are sharing with us. So we would really appreciate that. All right, team. For now, though, please enjoy this interview with Dr. Nikki Kane. Nikki, thank you so much for taking time to speak to me this morning. I really appreciate it. And I was looking through my notes and it has been a couple of years actually since we last spoke. So it's really great to get the opportunity to chat, particularly in light of your new book. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back again. Is it that long? Wow. Anyway. <laughs> I know. Yes, I think I'm, I'm obviously... I've been uh, working hard with the book, so over time has gone past, yes. <laughs> it has. I was going to say it's that pesky pandemic, but in fact, we did catch up in 2020 at the end of the year. Um, mm. Can you firstly, just for um, listeners who may not have caught the first episode, which of course I will pop in the show notes, can you just um, give us a little bit of your background, if that's okay? Sure. So I'm a medical doctor. 
and um, I specialize focus on exercise endocrinology. So that means I'm particularly interested at the effects of exercise or the interaction, should I say, the interaction of exercise and uh, nutrition as well uh, on uh, the endocrine system, the hormones in your body. Um, and the reason I got fascinated in hormones is because they are the most complicated things. I do love a challenge. And also I realize they're very important for people who are doing um, by the way, when I use the term athlete or exercise, I mean, we're all athletes because I think we all do ex to exercise intentionally to some degree. Um, so I'm not just talking about elites, by the way. So people that are, want to be fit and healthy, simple as that. People that want to be fit and healthy, I my aim, ambition is to try and guide them to that path, both in my clinical work and through my research. I like to find out, you know, do this detective work with the hormones, find out really what's going on. So yeah, uh, following on that theme these past 30 years, yes, I am getting older. <laughs> I've done various uh, attachments in Australia, Geneva, uh, in sports medicine, and in the UK as part of a, an international team, uh, medical team working out an anti-doping test for growth hormone. But I've done plenty of other research with exercises, dancers, I particularly love dancing. Uh, and more recently, I'm trying to get to grips with the female hormones uh, using mathematical techniques to really understand those. So yeah, that's me. I'm all about hormones and, and trying to figure out the best way for people, each individual, to be as fit and healthy as they can and, and reach their full potential. Yeah, no, I love it because, of course, your book, uh, Health, Humans, Health and... Other book. way around. So, so, so the reason I, um, I did it in this order, by the way, yes. is because hormones are the fundamental. So hormones yes. come first. Hormones determine your health and then your health determines your potential. So the title is Hormones, Health and human potential. So that's, that's what I've put into the book to try and uh, everything I've learned over these years, I want to share that with people because obviously as a doctor, I'm delighted when I work with somebody and they come back and say, yeah, that really helped. I'm feeling much healthier. I'm, I'm much, you know, performing to my best. So that's great at, at an individual level. But I thought, well, maybe there are some things I could tell everybody about these amazing things, hormones, and, and what they can do to, uh, you know, empower themselves so they know what to do. And actually, one of the endorsers for my book, the lovely Chrissy Wellington, who has won the Ironman, I can't remember how many times, I think it's five, a lot. Anyway, um, her endorsement for the book really touched me because she said it was wonderful the way that I put all my knowledge, all my understanding into the book. And that's literally sums it up. I've tried to put it in there. Um, don't worry, it's not a medical textbook. But I put it in there um, so people can, yeah, uh, understand and learn and put it into practice, hopefully. And the book also contains what I call hormone stories, yes. um, which I suppose you would say are case studies. Obviously, they're not exact people. I can't do that. But uh, it will also help people identify. It's like, oh, gosh, that's me. <laughs> ah, right. Well, uh, that's why that was going on for me. And oh, actually, maybe this is relevant for me. Yeah, completely. And I've got to say, Nikki, I so I did uh, English. I was quite good at English at high school and I did it in my first year of university before I figured out what it is that I wanted to do. And I just so appreciated how you really married the arts and the science really well 
in your book. So it's sort of set up like it's, and I, I figured it must have been because of your love of dance. Um, yes. And you sort of set it up like it was a, like different scenes within a show. I'm not sure if I've got the right terminology for, you know, going to the ballet or something, but different acts and different scenes yeah. and yeah, but also exactly, because it's a story, by the way, just to say, you're, I'm glad you picked up on that because it is a story. Yeah. Yes. Dance is my passion. So it is a, it is a, it's, it, but I'm not on the hormones are center stage. The hormones are the, the other, are the dancers, the actors, the, the, the players, if you will. And so, yeah, it's got, um, it's the books in two acts and then the acts are divided into scenes equivalent of chapters but everyone does parts and chapters so I thought ah that's a bit so I wanted to put my own personal touch uh, on it so that I'm glad you picked up on that I I, yeah. quite, I had fun with that <laughs> yeah I loved it and do you know what I also loved is just the I thought it was really uh quite I don't know what the word is maybe poignant I suppose is that we're like in books like yours and yours of course we're be, we're getting a better understanding of our hormones and how how important they are for our health and how our hormones interact with the outside environment. Yet you're also threading through these sayings that have been in our, in that, in our, um, I guess our awareness again for thousands of years, Hippocrates. And then you've got oh, Shakespeare and I know it's so interesting. It's like this wisdom has been brought to life with the science and the, your clinical knowledge and experience. It's brilliant. Well, I'm glad that you picked that up because it was actually, you know, I thought I really want to, you know, put this information so people can uh, experience the pleasure I've had of learning about these hormones. But then I came across um, Hippocrates and um, it's like, you know what, this chap really was onto something. 2,500 <laughs> yeah. years ago, he was saying that the surest way to health was through just the right amount of exercise and nutrition. It's like, wow, he's really onto something here. And so that's why I sort of wanted to almost explore that. That was the premise of the book. Let's see, how was he right? And if he was right, which actually he was, um, yeah. you know, what's, what's, what are the tools? What's going on exactly? And that missing link is uh, those are the hormones. Those yeah. are the, the, or the orchestra uh, of all these uh, hormone performance. Uh, all being conducted to a certain, um, you know, timing according to our age and everything. But then when I started off with that, then I, I, I like books when I read them. And there's always a little quote at the beginning. Yes. Um, and so I just, I, I've always liked that. Um, and so I thought, oh, well, and then it sort of fell into place. It's like, oh, well, that's the quote for this. And that's the one for that, that I really like that slightly mysterious quote or, or, or as you say, ancient wisdom. <laughs> it's like, you know, these guys really knew their stuff. But sometimes it because of all everything that's happened since the ancient Greeks, good and bad, by the way. Uh, but, you know, medicine has, because we've got all these fancy techniques and testing, uh, often medicine can start to be more about illness and, and sickness. Absolutely. Of course, it, it should be. But then we've kind of lost sight, maybe, of what health is. Health isn't just the absence of disease. It's uh, the combination of being uh, at your top level in terms of physical, mental and social health. So actually, that's what I want to sort of come back a bit and say, OK, I mean, thankfully, I know, unfortunately, illness and sickness, that it happens. And of course, as a doctor, I, you know, I want to try and help people overcome those, those situations. But, you know, thankfully, you know, quite a lot of us are actually 
you know, uh, we're just going along okay, okay, but could we be even better for our for our reach our personal potential? Yeah, no, I completely um, appreciate that sentiment, Nikki. And, you know, when I was reading your book and one of the first sort of um, uh, things that you set up is the idea that our health actually starts with our hormones and even the very definition of what a hormone is, which I'd never even realised. The first time I read it was in your book, Setting in Motion, you know, if you sort of look, think about how the word sort of comes together. Um, can you sort of talk by describing that premise like what is it about hormones that make them sort of the underpinning of our health yeah so i think we all are familiar that we have this uh, we have dna in our cells that's a blueprint for, for life uh, but what actually directs that when is it actually going to come to life as it were so the dna is made up of lots of genes which code for lots of various proteins but how when is the body, does the body know when to produce the protein? When does it need to produce more muscle protein? Because you've just been uh, running and you want to, you know, replenish your, your uh, muscle proteins. How does it know how old you are and when, you know what I mean? It's just like, wow, what, what's, what's going on there? What, what's the boss? And the boss, uh, that's the hormones. They set in motion. And that describes the mechanism of action. Because I remember as medical students, you like, yeah, 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 hormones, chemical messengers, we around the blood, go into the cell, da, da, da. But then if you really break it down, they're not just couriers, these hormones. They're the boss. They go into the cell nucleus, go into the DNA, and they instruct it uh, what, which hormones, it's what's called gene expression. They switch on certain genes to produce certain proteins. So that how, that's, that's why hormones, yes, ancient Greek, apparently, didn't do ancient Greek, but anyway, Apparently, that derives from, as you say, that uh, present participle, uh, the verb, setting in motion. So that's what they do. They set in motion our DNA. But this is actually really encouraging for us. So it's not like the ancient, the one thing the ancient Greeks got wrong. <laughs> they thought our, uh, you know, our life was determined by the fates, the gods, whatever, right? But no, 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 it's not. <laughs> uh, you know, in some ways, yes, you have got that genetic blueprint individual to you, but that's just the start of it. It's the hormones that then bring it to life, set in motion to produce the various proteins throughout your life. So that's why hormones are so key to health, because you want them to be setting in, in motion the, the DNA that's going to make us the healthiest, right? Don't you? Of course. And then from our behaviours, so that's sort of inside your body. The hormones are in charge of, of right, okay, biological clock, we're going to produce this protein now, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's nice within, within the body almost. But then we don't all just, we just don't live in a hermetically sealed container. There's stuff going on outside and we choose to do things. We choose to you know, go to a ballet class. We choose to eat this. We, you know, all, all that sort of thing. So the hormones also are aware of what we're doing. Okay, so they keep a watching brief on not only what's happening inside, but on the outside. And that's really empowering if you think about it. So you can get these uh, hormones that set in motion our DNA. You can get them to work the way you want them to. You can harness them, as I say, through your um, external behaviors, which brings us back to Hippocrates. Hippocrates said, listen, if you do the right amount of exercise, not too much, not too little, uh, same for nutrition, you will find the surest way to health. So he was describing this process. He had, he had no idea about these hormones, by the way. 
right? But now we know that the, the that these are uh, the missing link are the hormones. So I think also if as a, I want to understand, I think most people want to understand, you know, we're told, oh, you should do this, you should do that, blah, 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 blah. But you're more likely to do it if you really understand why. It's like, okay, this makes sense that, uh, you know, I'm, I should do this or I've been told or advised to do this. Um, I have to say, I'm I'm probably not the best patient because when I go to the physiotherapist, poor thing, she probably thinks, oh no, uh, because I say, look, why do, why are you suggesting this? Because I want to know. So she's fine. She knows me now. It's like, oh, well, it's this muscle, blah, blah. You know, she explains the detail of why she's recommending to do this. And then I will do it. But you know how it is. If you're just given a list of things, this is what you've got to do. Uh, I'm I'm not that motivated because I don't I want to understand why. So that's also what I'm trying to convey in the book, so that people understand, you know, why it, it's important to you know, be aware of your behaviours and and match them for you and yeah. what you want to achieve. Yeah. Do you think, Nikki? Because I, when I was reading the book, and we were, and you described sort of changes across the life cycle, and I'm, I just think, you know, you've got thirty years of study and research and an interest and passion in this area, so you're of course motivated to learn more. Whereas if I, as a forty-five-year-old woman, go to my doctor. Like they're not going to have your background necessarily. Well, they're not going to have your background, but your passion for hormones. So that sort of level of understanding and why. And I guess you can't speak to the New Zealand experience, but in your neck of the woods, do you think physicians have the level of knowledge that they might, that they should have in order to understand the stuff? Well, the thing is... Um... You know, I have total respect for my professional colleagues here in the UK. We call them GPs, general practice, and that's the word, general. So, um, you know, they have, of course, a general idea over many things. Um, but yes, I'm, uh, you know, more of a specialist in hormones. So, uh, but so, you know what I mean? There, it depends on the type of doctor. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not a surgeon, for example, and. The surgeon that did my hip replacements, it's like, wow, I totally respect what he's doing. Mm. So you see what I mean? It depends on, on the doctor, although probably, if I'm absolutely honest, there probably are some areas that we that uh, even, you know, my colleagues in general practice need to brush up on, should I say. Um, and so, for example, here in the UK, um, there was, uh, we have a thing called the NICE guidelines. Uh, they're sort of like medical guidelines, you know, if you have this condition, this is the best practice, etc. And I was actually quite uh, surprised that they still had, for a young woman who who has no periods, what's called amenorrhea, FHA, functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, they were still saying give the contraceptive pill, which is not what's recommended by the Endocrine Society. So I politely wrote to them and said, listen, do you, maybe you should change this. And actually, to be fair, they were fine. Within a week, they said, thank you for pointing that out. And it's changed since the beginning of the year. So I think it's, it's um, you know, everyone, uh, you know, healthcare professionals in general, but and, and doctors, we all need to work together because I'm still learning. Although, yes, um, uh, my children remind me I am very old <laughs> and I've been around her for a long time. And I think I've le- I have learned a lot for sure, but I'm never going to be satisfied and think I know everything. 
Uh, you know what I mean? So I think that's also um, the thing about medicine, but also, you know, it's just very busy, especially uh, in general practice. They're very busy and they are truly, although we call it the NHS National Health Service, really it's the National Sickness <laughs> because it's, it's, it, they're so busy having to deal with the sickness. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I know so what you actually mean. they don't have that chance to go back and look at the fundamentals of health. I'm in the fortunate position where, yes, I will get people coming to me with, um, uh, uh, an endocrine condition per se that's just happened, underactive thyroid, whatever it is. But there are lots of people I see who are coming to ask my advice. I run virtual clinics um, who are saying, look, I'm not ill, but I'm just not, I don't feel I'm quite right. Or I, I feel this, you know, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. And so that's the distinction between medicine uh, and sickness and medicine and health. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, so I think that's probably uh, probably what it what it stems from. But also the book is meant to be it's not meant to be that you go and tell your doctor what to do, by the way. But at least you have got the tools now and the understanding. You can get on with a lot of stuff yourself. Right. Preventative medicine, if you will, or, or getting to your optimal. And of course, you still need your doctor if, you know, stuff happens, accidents happen. <laughs> My husband toppled off his bike and broke his pelvis and certainly had to fix it. So things happen. You you know, you do need the doctor, of course, there if, if something happens, but you can do a lot yourself. And I think as well, like I, what I love about um, practitioners like you writing books like this is it does allow an interested person the ability to learn more. And then they are actually able to go to their doctor and say, you know, and, and actually offer a bit like if they ask for something or ask to be tested for something or to get something looked at, they've at least got a body of evidence to sort of suggest that they do have an informed sort of reasoning for do it. Because as you say, general practitioners, um, at least here in New Zealand, busy, mm. full clinics, dealing with a lot of sick people and the, having the time to actually pursue something outside of what they might see in their day-to-day -day practice must be so challenging. So a lot of them actually appreciate it when people come to them and, and say, actually, you know what, this is a really good resource. And particularly when it comes from someone like you who is, um, you know, an, an expert in your field. Yes, exactly. I don't want to, people to go marching into their GPs and say, <laughs> demanding stuff, by the way. But but you're right. I, I love a patient that's informed. It makes my life a lot easier. Because if I if a patient comes and give me, gives me a nice clinical history and, and you know, I'm, I actually respect them and it makes their, my life a lot easier. So I think it's the same for GPs. When I went to my GP and was asking for HRT, actually, my GP was lovely. He said, oh, gosh, I'm, thank you for, t you know, yeah. <laughs> help, you know, saying. Uh, that, so for sure, I think people can um, feel better informed and more confident. So, for example, the, the one I gave about younger women with no periods being told, oh, it doesn't matter that you haven't got a period and, and being told, oh, just go on the pill. Now they have they can go in more confidently and say, well, actually, um, you know, that's not normal physiology. And, you know, again, either quote my book or better still, the book's got lots of references, as you see, better still say the Endocrine Society guidelines and the NICE guidelines say, don't give me the pill. So, you know, it's sort of politely point out. And the same for goes, we talked about, uh, you know, the lifespan um, and, you know, for women and HRT reaching the perimenopause, menopause. Again, there's a lot of misinformation out there. 
And again, busy GPs, you know, it is it is tricky. <laughs> it's a full-time yeah. job trying to keep up with everything. Yeah. So if you have done your research, read it in the book, looked up the references that I've given, uh, then you can go in there with more confidence and and asked for if you made that decision for HRT, for example, or you feel at least you've got a good grounding in understanding. So then you can go into the GP rather than starting from scratch. You're feeling confident that you're now want to ready for that discussion or and maybe asking for um a prescription you know yeah nikki can we just um touch on those examples because i i wonder whether people will even be familiar with what the issue is around something like um using the pill to mask no period or and of course just the hrt and some misconceptions or potentially different choices women have can you help describe that for us so um, uh, a woman, uh, reproductive years, so that's from the age you start your periods, called menarche, to the age that you, your periods stop, that's called menopause. I mean, that's a lot of years from average 12 or so to average 51, right? So throughout that time, every woman should have reasonably regular periods, unless you're pregnant. Uh, you know, so if your periods stop, and I'm talking, you're not on hormonal contraception, okay, by the way. Um, if they stop, uh, you know, for three months, and at the very most six months, you do need to go and seek medical advice, because that's a warning sign from inside your body, your hormones are, are waving a red flag and saying something's not right. Um, so the needs, you do need to see a doctor at that point and so to figure out what's going on. If it's a sort of um, what we call a diagnosis of exclusion. So if actually, thankfully, there's nothing wrong with the ovaries, there's nothing wrong with your thyroid, et cetera, et cetera. Um, actually, then we call it functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. So amenorrhea is no periods. Hypothalamus, that's the boss of all the hormones here, the conductor of the endocrine orchestra in the brain. So it's saying that there's a central control problem, but we put the word function in front because the good news is this is reversible. It's because you have got an imbalance in your behaviors in nutrition, training load, uh, recovery, sleep, okay? So that, but in that situation, all you need to try and encourage that switch to switch on. Yeah. So the last thing in the world you need to be doing is giving somebody something that will make that switch stay off. And that's what the combined contraceptive pill does very effectively. That's why it's an excellent contraception, by the way, the clue's in the name, right? So how it works, the combined contraceptive pill, is that it switches off this off button, okay, in the hypothalamus. But if you've already got the button off, and now you give something that keeps the button on off permanently, that it's makes no sense. Yeah, it's not yeah. fixing the issue, so that's why it says it masks the condition. But I know why it's been given, because it makes everyone feel better. The doctor, busy doctor, like we described in general practice, write a prescription, give them the thing, it's like, phew. Uh, and then also the woman, she has withdrawal bleeds with a contraceptive pill. These are withdrawal bleeds, and I'm using that word, uh, you know, uh, with a reason, because they're not the periods you experience if your own hormones are working. But psychologically, everyone feels better. The woman's having this bleed now regularly. It's like, oh, well, it's all fine and it's fixed. But the thing is, these hormones in the contraceptive pill are fakes. 
<laughs> very good fakes, very good fakes. They fool the hypothalamus. They switch that off, but they don't fool the bone. The bone looks at that and says, nah, that's not the real stuff. So that's why it's not bone protective in this situation. So that's, I hope that explained why the contraceptive pill is not, should not be given in FHA, functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. Like you say, you need to unpick it and find out why the periods are stopped. And more often than not, because I do see a lot of athletes' exercises for women, more often than not, it's because they've got the, the imbalance, just as Hippocrates predicted. If you have too much exercise and too little nutrition, effectively, your behaviors are out of balance, and then the hormones switch off. By the way, it's not the hormones that are out of balance. The hormones know quite well what they want to do. Millions of years of evolution, but it's it's a bit again, that's empowering. It's because what we've done is out of balance on the outside. And the hormones has reacted. You see what I mean? Yeah. So the way you rebalance the hormones is not giving hormones like the pill, because that's not going to do the trick. What you have to do is you have to look back at the behaviors. Sometimes that is tricky. I'm not making out, oh, this is an easy fix. Sometimes if there's a psychological element, if I work a lot with dancers uh, and athletes, you know, where being lightweight is perceived as a performance advantage. So it might have actually been an intentional thing they, that they were, frankly, over-exercising relative to what they're eating. So that I'm not making out it's, it's easy, but that's why often the pill is, because it is easy to take a pill. So that's why, as you see, sometimes people go down that route or, or, or doctors suggest going down that route. So I hope that uh, clarifies, uh, yeah. clarifies that one. And then is it the same thing when we, when we think about at the other end of our reproductive years that the type of HRT really changes a woman's um, or how helpful the HRT is? Mm. Yeah, exactly. So that's... Uh, you know, during those reproductive years. Um, and then uh, what happens at the menopause is that the ovaries go into retirement. Yeah. So in this situation, it's not the control center, it's actually the ovaries that have retired. So at menopause, the ovaries say, listen, you know, time to, time to retire. And so they stop uh, ovulating, stop producing eggs, and also the production of estrogen and progesterone really drops. You don't have periods anymore. But this is a dramatic drop by the way, because estrogen, when you have a menstrual cycle, it can go as high as a thousand uh, picomoles per litre. Don't worry about the units, but I'm just, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then after the menopause, it's going to be probably less than a hundred. So it's a massive drop. Anyway, so these hormones suddenly, uh, you know, dropping, um, that's going to cause a lot of consequences for the woman, particularly quality of life. Uh, and, you know, there are typical menopause symptoms are, um, well, of course, the periods are stopping, uh, but brain fog, uh, hot flushes, um, sort of random aches and pains, sometimes, uh, you know, new onset headaches. Um, yeah, I can say it's not great. <laughs> Mood being labile, you're happy, you're sad. It's like the Vivaldi in the four seasons. It's just like not great. Your quality of life is often, um, not ev every woman, but in some women, it's very severely affected, such that they want to give up their, their job, you see, because they feel they just can't cope. So it's quality of life, but also in terms of long-term health. Because these hormones become very low, we know that there's a much higher risk of getting osteoporosis and heart disease. Cardiovascular disease is the main killer of menopausal women. It's not breast cancer, by the way. 
So fortunately, we have now um, uh, what's called HRT, hormone replacement therapy. And that's exactly what it does. It replaces. It brings you back to the levels you were before menopause, these hormones, okay? Yeah. Um, and uh, the best form of HRT is one, these hormones that are identical to your own, the ones that you similar to the ones you were producing before. Yeah, because that's what uh, the brain so the recognizes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and also all the tissues recognize, the yeah. tissues recognize, like the bones, etc. Anyway, so that's why, and also the other advantage of taking these what's called body identical hormones is that I just want to make a distinction. I don't know if it's the same for you guys over there, but there is um, a thing called bio-identical hormones. And please, this is this is the quote from the British Menopause Society, not me, in case people get upset. Um, you know, bio-identical British Menopause Society, quote, unquote, these are unlicensed, unregulated medications, and it oh, is, frankly, a marketing ploy. So here in the UK... Um, you know, it's these body identicals, ones that are licensed and regulated, and you can get through prescription on the NHS. Anyway, these hormones that are old friends for the tissues of the body, the bone and the heart, etc. Um, and the other advantage of this type of um, HRT is that the estradiol component you can put, take through the skin. Yeah. So that's either a patch or a gel. Mm -hmm. And that's really handy because if you take a tablet, it has to go all through the digestive tract, through the liver, etc. So there's good evidence to show if you do the estrogen through the skin, gel or a patch, then that's not only, you know, good stuff that the, the body recognizes, but also it doesn't have to go through the liver. You must always, if you've got a uterus, you, in other words, you haven't had a hysterectomy, you must always have in HRT estrogen and progesterone. So the progesterone component, uh, similarly, it's better if that's body identical, what's called micronized progesterone. Here in the UK, the trade name is Eutrogestan. I think it's probably the same worldwide. Uh, and this is, you know, these old friend hormones to the body. That's the best one. And the yeah. other advantage of this uh, micronized progesterone is it has a slightly soporific effect. So oh, yeah. if you're having trouble sleeping, um, you know, have it actually, they say, take it late, uh, you know, last thing at night or late at night, you know. Um, and, you know, it might help improve your sleep. So certainly, um, and, you know, I think HRT is great. And as we're going to be living up to a third of our lives as women in, in the menopause, you know, actually. Uh, Not being miserable you know, is quite a good Well, thing. <laughs> exactly. And because lots of, you know, previously women would frankly die in childbirth. They wouldn't reach the menopause. But now we're spending more and more time in the menopause. Might as well, you know, make the most of HRT. And especially if you are. Uh, you know, a master's athlete. Yes. I see a lot of, I'm seeing more and more women's master's athletes. And why shouldn't they continue to train and compete if they want, you see? And HRT, um, yeah, definitely is helpful. Unfortunately, there has been a lot of misinformation about HRT. And there was a big scare story came from a study in America a while back in the 2000s. And there was a massive drop in HRT. The reason is that media got hold of the story before it was published. And the headlines, because it's all about headlines, was, oh, HRT causes breast cancer. But unfortunately, but that was not right. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true. There is a slight increase in breast cancer with HRT, an extra four cases per 1,000 women. But this compares to a whopping extra 26 cases if 
you're not exercising, if you're yeah. overweight, if you're smoking, if you're drinking alcohol, etc. Yeah. And by the way, uh, if you take regular exercise two and a half hours or more per week, that decreases the number of breast uh, cancer cases by seven. So yeah. if you do your maths, you're still you're better, still better off, off taking H off and doing the exercise, right? Uh, yeah. So, but of course, this unfortunately, this uh, didn't come to light. The headlines had already been released. But then when people looked properly at this study and said, well, actually, the reason why there were in this particular study quite a lot of breast cancer cases wasn't anything to do with the HRT. It was to do with the type of women they were giving the HRT to who were actually 10 years away from the menopause. And we now recommend you take HRT, get it started as soon as possible. Not only does that smooth you through that transition, but also, you know, the, the kind of, if I can put it this way, the the damage has been done in the sense that the hormone's been alone for so long that you might already be on the way to developing heart disease or something, you see. Um, and the other thing is, uh, dare I say this, being in America, the majority of the women were overweight. And I've just told you, a massive risk factor for breast cancer is being, I mean, like overweight, really overweight. Um, so, but unfortunately, because of, you know, uh, you know, I understand media press, they want headlines, they don't want you know, they want something dramatic. So that's why it was, uh, you know, that caused a bit of a, a scare. Yeah, for um, sure. And also it was really horrible that it was playing on women's worst fears. You know, breast cancer, it does say, make you a little bit nervous, doesn't it? But then also, again, breast cancer, thankfully, it's not breast cancer. It's cardiovascular disease anyway, which is the main killer. So there was a lot of problems there. Yeah, and there's not. I don't think that's particularly well known, actually, that cardiovascular disease is one of the leading causes of, of death. What is it about going through menopause, if that's what it is, that increases a woman's risk of CVD? Yeah, well, listen, it's this estradiol, most active form of estrogen. This is good stuff. Yeah. This is really brilliant. This is a brilliant hormone, may I yeah. say. <laughs> uh, uh, not only is it, I mean, I think everyone's sort of familiar with bones. It's very, very good for your bones, for men as well, by the way. Um, but also not so uh, talked about is it's actually very good for the uh, neurological system, for your mood, for the brain. Hence the brain fog, by the way, when your estrogen levels go low. But also it's actually what's called cardioprotective. So this estradiol is amazing, this stuff. Um, this hormone is brilliant. It, it's also very good for heart health in terms of the lipid profile and also in terms of the reactivity of the blood vessels themselves. Amazing. The arteries, it makes them nice and uh, reactive, not this really uh, sort of the reason you get a heart attack is because the arteries get too sort of fixed, uh, you know, and you get the cholesterol deposits, et cetera, et cetera. But I've just told you, estrogen copes with both of those things. So that's why when you reach the menopause and the estrogen, estradiol and progesterone fall, that's why the increased risk of uh, heart disease. And that when we reach menopause, we then, in, so during, before menopause, women are much less likely to get heart disease than men. But at menopause, we unfortunately, in a bad way, catch up with the men in, in the sense that the risk increases to equal that of men. So certainly that's um, something to consider when you're thinking, weighing up all the pros and cons of HRT. I mean, it's prescribed on the here and now, your quality of life, but also, frankly, with half a thought. I'm, I'm thinking self. also, by the way, 
heart disease. I'm also thinking osteoporosis. So it's also thinking, making an investment for your future as well. Yeah, for sure. And of course, you know, as you mentioned at the start of our conversation, it's your interaction of hormones with the outside world and our behaviors are so important in terms of helping that hormonal response and diet and exercise Mm -hmm. and sleep. And I feel like sleep is getting a little bit of time now in the spotlight, which is great. You know, we're much more cognizant of how important it is for our overall sort of health. So can you, Nikki, just sort of describe in your view what the importance of sleep is for our hormones? Because, of course, during HRT or during, I'm sorry, the the menopause transition, sleep is one of those things that does seem to fall off a little bit. Yeah, well, just um, absolutely I'll talk about sleep, but just to pick up on your point, though, about we've been talking about medications, HRT, but fundamental is also reviewing your lifestyle behaviors and the exercise and there's good evidence because there are a few women who not many who for whom hrt is contraindicated so for those women um you know don't worry (laughs) doing exercises there's good evidence to show that that does help with the symptoms in terms of hot flushes look at your nutrition make sure you're taking your vitamin d your protein and the sleep the sleep is a tricky one so now we'll come to that so Lifestyle, um, but your, your behaviours is always the first port of call, and then uh, the HRT, or the at the same time, however you want to look at it. Um, but sleep, yes. I mean, uh, one of my quotes is that sleep is the chief nourisher and life's great feast. I remember that for when I did my English O level uh, oh, here that. in the UK, because <laughs> I really, I thought, I thought even as a youngster, it's like, wow, that's really interesting, isn't it? And out of all the lifestyle behaviours. You know, if I'm, if you're going to say, right, you've only can choose one, I would actually say sleep. Yeah, interesting. Because the the thing is about sleep is you don't realize it, but you're getting healthier and fitter when you're asleep. Wow. So, of course, assuming that during the day you have done some exercise and you have, you know, uh, eaten in a in a decent way, etc. But then, when you sleep, that's the time when the hormones get really busy. That's the the time for the hormones to, um, you know, take advantage of all those actions you've done during the day. So, for example, particularly growth hormone. The main stimulus for growth hormone release is sleep, uh, is exercise and sleep. And growth hormones, for example, is very important in uh, maintaining a good body composition, uh, you know, muscle mass over fat. So it's when you're asleep that lots of these hormones drive these positive adaptations to all these behaviors we've been going on about. It's like, okay, that's all fine, but when does this actually happen? It doesn't happen while you're actually doing your exercise. I think this is what lots of people confused, get confused with. You go on your bike ride, for example. Um, it's not, you're not getting fitter while you're on the bike. You're actually going to get fitter when you're asleep because then the hormones will drive the adaptive processes. So the thing about sleep is it's not only, um, you know, the quality, the quantity, but it's also the quality of sleep and all this and the timing of the sleep. There's a recent paper showing that actually, you know, the hours before midnight are helpful because my grandmother used to say this to me. My grandmother used to say to me, oh, it's the hours before midnight. And I thought, oh, it's just an old wives tale. I just like, <laughs> also the things she used to say. It's like, you know what? She had a point. Anyway, yeah. so, you know, it, it makes sense though, doesn't it? Because the, the hormones have their own biological clocks, timing of the hormones going up and down. So if you're trying to go against the timing of your hormones, 
that's not going to be good. And certainly being a junior doctor is definitely not good for your hormones, I can tell you that. We know that people who have disrupted sleep, um, we get what's called circadian misalignment. So it's this scheduling clash between, um, you know, what we're doing when we're going to sleep and what the hormones want to do because you're missing out on that great time when you can adapt and change. And we know that uh, shift workers like doctors, uh, you know, it's very bad for our hormone health and long term, you know, we get uh, metabolic problems, etc. So, so, you know, if you're going to be listening to this and thinking, okay, fine, uh, what's one takeaway from this? It's actually sleep. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so yeah. trying to go to bed at a regular time, uh, you know, doing everything you can to try and make sure you've got the best quality of sleep. Yes, I agree. It's challenging. You know, if you've got stuff on your mind, I know. And if you are perimenopause and getting those hot flushes, it's true, that is tricky. But still, you have to try. You have to do all your sleep hygiene thing. There's even a thing called sleep scheduling. And ultimately, for, you know, menopause, actually HRT will help a lot uh, with that. Yeah. And also, you know, if a woman gets an opportunity to have HRT, then that may give the impetus to then address the lifestyle behaviours. Because sometimes if you're exhausted and you're depressed and you're anxious and you're gaining weight, it's very difficult to to put into action the things which will ultimately help. But it's like a, not that HIT is necessarily a band-aid, but at least it's a, it might be a step up to then address these uh, things. Exactly. You make a very good point. Um, you know, definitely lack of sleep, like we've been saying, sleep so crucial. Um, it just makes everything harder, doesn't it? You know what it's like when you get up and you just had a bad night's sleep or something, you know, after a night uh, when I used to do, you know, uh, shifts at the hospital being on call overnight and it's just like the next day you just feel rubbish don't you you know from from a thought process point of view but also your hormones are screaming at you and saying what the heck's going on but you're right about the it is trick it is listen let's be frank and open that perimenopause menopause is a challenging time um for women because the hormones are changing so much but you're right if you can break out of that cycle um because lack of sleep just makes everything <laughs> seem a lot worse and harder doesn't Definitely. it so trying to or using all the tools you can in your in your kit bag to try and help with the sleep mm. uh, but also even understanding that look this is why I can't sleep so well because sometimes it can be really frustrating but if you again understanding okay my hormones are doing funny things I just have to go with it um, and then as you say to break the vicious cycle that's where the HRT and the, and the uterogestan like we were talking about the slight hypnotic effect as they call it or sedative effect you know, that can at least put you in a better position to tackle these other things. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we've talked about obviously sex hormones and how they interact and and, and you know, highlighted throughout your book is, is, of course, that the hormones themselves are this complex sort of network. You know, you can't just look at one hormone and try and uh, and think, well, something's wrong with that thing, so we're going to fix this one thing. Um, you have a good case study, Nikki, about an amateur cyclist and a potential thyroid issue in your book. It was, I think, one of your sort of hormone stories, if you like. Um, can you, I don't know, can we use that as an example of how of the interaction between, say, the thyroid and other hormones and how to, how to dissect an issue in order to actually figure out what's going on? Because I think that's mm. a challenge, isn't it? 
Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, you, well, I said I like a challenge, right? <laughs> These hormones are, they, I mean, yeah, we can pick out individual star hormones like estradiol, but they don't work in isolation. They work in a conversation with, you, with each other. Uh, the, it's a symphony. It's all the whole orchestra of these hormones talking, cross-talking to each other. They don't work in isolation. So um, I don't know. I can't remember the exact hormone story, but no, quite often I see this. Uh, and let's let, let's talk about men for it, because in case they feel that <laughs> we're just <laughs> focusing on the women. Yes. Uh, exactly. Listen, the female hormones are amazing and great, but, you know, anyway. Um you know, men have hormones too, by the way, um, and 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 not just testosterone, even. Um, so, you know, I see a lot of cyclists, male cyclists, um, where they're trying to, um, they believe that if they're lightweight, they can win the races and everything like this. And it's true, you know, physics, gravity. If you are lighter weight than being heavy, it's true. You can get up a slight incline, but there does come a limit to that sort of equation, that payoff, if you will. Because if actually you're restricting your food intake uh, and you're so lightweight, then actually you can't produce that power. So you won't get this power weight benefit that, you know, you're, you're sort of pursuing. For. Yeah. Uh, exactly. But if you're in low energy availability, as we say, which means that actually there isn't enough energy in the system to maintain all the hormone networks, energy will be prioritized to cover movement. So you will still be able to get up the hill, but just very slowly. Um, then the body's got to do something. It's, it's in an emergency situation. It will go into eco mode. So it will dial everything down. So for a male cyclist, that will definitely be, it will be testosterone chaps. Um, and testosterone is very important for driving positive adaptation. So now actually you can see you're not going to be uh, reach those uh, get that gain, get those um, performance advantages you were searching for in the first place. But another thing that down regulates, just goes into eco mode, is um, the hormones of the thyroid axis. And this is very sensible for the body to do this, by the mm. way, because the thyroid axis, um, the thyroid hormones, people probably have heard of thyroxine, this regulates metabolic rate, so the rate at which you use the energy. But if you haven't, it's like driving the car. You know when the red signal goes on that you've got low, not much petrol in the tank, then actually you can make that last longer by going slower, can't you? Yeah, right? it's a good call. So yeah. this is exactly what happens with the thyroid. It's going gonna, it's gonna to dial down. So if you look at the thyroid blood tests, um, you know, you will see the thyroid hormones, all of them, because they have a control one called TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. They have T4 and T3, thyroxine and um, the, the T3, the active one. So if you look at all three of those, in this situation, this male cyclist who was in low energy availability, um, I saw lower range testosterone and I saw lower range thyroid hormones across the board. This is not a thyroid problem. If you hear about people, oh, an underactive thyroid, this is where the gland in the neck producing thyroxine, that goes on strike. And so then you have no option. Yes, you do have to give thyroxine. But the problem here is in the central control system. We've been talking about hypothalamus pituitary. So I can see that that is a problem that everything is dialed down. Okay. So in that case, 
Just like with the pill in women, you wouldn't give the pill if everything is dialed down. You wouldn't, you shouldn't give thyroxine in this case because there's nothing wrong with a thyroid gland. The problem is, like we said, the control switch at the top. So you, again, it's like the with the uh, with a female athlete, you need to work on the behaviors, on the balance of the behaviors to regulate the hormones. You can't artificially balance whatever that word means. It drives me mad. Balance hormones. That's <laughs> anyway not a medical term. Um, so this is, I think, the example you're uh, alluding to. Yeah. But to the inexperienced eye, you look. And you see, and you might say, "Oh, thyroxine's low. I should just give thyroxine." But no, you have to look at the overall picture. Well, number one, you have to listen to the person. You have to ask them. So I would ask the cyclist. It's like, okay, you say you're feeling tired. Let's go through your training load, your nutrition, and then it's already you can pretty much guess what's going on. And then you look at all the blood results, all the hormones, what's going on, and you get this picture. You get, you know, you build up. The, the picture and it's like okay this is, and then I explain that to the person you know to the cyclist in this case it's like look this is what's happened um and then if again understanding if they understand oh but I've been told that I should have thyroxine it's no no I'll tell you why you shouldn't you see and I explain it and then it's like okay now I understand now I'm much more likely to put into practice the advice you're giving me about the training ladder, about the nutrition, they didn't realize. But if you have an understanding of it, then they're more likely to, you know, uh, be able to, um, you know, try and rectify things. For sure. And Nikki, I do feel that over the last couple of years, there has been more attention paid to not only relative energy deficiency in sport, which is, of course, what we spoke about a couple of years ago, uh, yep. but also uh, issues in and around studying and understanding um, females in sport um, mm -hmm. as well. Do you feel quite encouraged by the the sort of this new attention that's now being sort of placed in this area? And of course, your yes. work is similar in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, not before time, one could argue. Um, <laughs> and in fact, I'm doing a, a talk with uh, with the lovely Chrissy Wellington um, in a oh, few fantastic. weeks here in London. And um, she, she said, yes, we must discuss that. She said, yeah, when she was, uh, you know, uh, uh, a very young triathlete, she said, yeah, people didn't talk about periods and, and stuff like this and didn't take it as, as a thing, you know, but actually... Uh, for a woman, uh, how her hormones vary is beautiful, apart from anything. And it's also a sign of health to have periods. This is your free monthly medical check. Wow. Why wouldn't you take it as a training metric? Right. Um, you know, Gwen Jorgensen, the uh, triathlete um, who won the world champs, I think, an Olympic medal, if I'm right. Anyway, she tracked all her... Uh, this is a couple of years ago now, she put publicly, which I thought was very brave of her, thank you, Gwen, um, that she was having regular cycles and using it as a training metric. So I think women should, um, you know, remember that, you know, we should talk about periods and just let's just talk about them. Like, what's your power data? It's like, what's your menstrual data? Let's yeah, yeah. just see what's going on. Use it like that. And also, you know, say, be honest and say, yeah, sometimes the menstrual, sometimes women, the menstrual cycle is not a, a problem. You know, I mean, I was, I was fortunate. I might get the occasional cramp, but really I was, I, you know, I was fine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some women do because everyone's individual. Some women actually do struggle 
they have really periods that, you know, the menstruation bit, which is actually troublesome, and they can feel not so good during the luteal phase after ovulation. So again, we have an open conversation. We say, listen, periods are good, number one. Secondly, you know, the menstrual cycle, sometimes it can be problematic, but the point is, if something's problematic, you don't just ignore it, do you? Let's address it. Let's look at it. Let's track it. Let's write it down. Let's discuss. Let's see what we can do. And this is what I do uh, in my work with um, our medical advisors to Scottish Ballet, for example. And when I started there, I was really, I was like, okay, where's your menstrual tracker? Oh, we don't have one. It's like, right, we're going to have one. Uh, and then let's let's figure out for each individual dancer, because for athletes and dancers, you can't determine when you're going to have a race. You know, it's like the opening night of Swan Lake is the opening night of Swan Lake. You can't change the date and say, oh, no, sorry, I want it here. You know, that's what it is. But if you can plan in advance uh, and you say, oh, goodness, that's going to fall during that bit of the period when I often have problems. It's like, let's talk about that months before. Let's figure out what we can do so you can be confident. Because, you know, athletes, you know, when you're setting up all your equipment, you know, you, you got to, okay, the bike's all nicely set up. I've got a household of cyclists I know they're obsessed about cleaning <laughs> bikes and all this sort of thing you know and um, for a dancer you make sure you got the right point shoes etc so you do all the equipment stuff but what about you what about what do you need to have be prepared for so that's why I think it's great that we are talking more about the menstrual cycle and also accepting that it will be very different for different women because that's the other thing that gets me slightly annoyed but I mentioned in my book um, you know there's so many different advices and generic advice about, oh, you should always, every woman feels like this, every woman should do X, Y, or Z. Well, that's, how can that be, that, listen, if you think about it, it's like, nah, that can't be right, because we're all different. We're not clones, are we? Yeah, So it's yeah. going to be slightly different. So, yes, I'm very much in favour of this more personalised approach, personalised approach to hormones, and accepting that we are different, rejoicing in that and getting to grips with it and and doing something so i'm yeah i'm really encouraged and and as you say it's something that i'm uh very passionate about myself and i'm doing a lot of work uh, modeling these hormones um and you know the more the more i learn about these hormones it's like wow we're just doing something now and it's like wow these are really really even more amazing than i thought even more complicated but that makes me that drives me it's like yes we're going to really try and get uh you know the the be- the best knowledge we can so nikki do you mind just if if you can do it in a couple of minutes describe what you're actually doing with that mathematical modeling like so what it, how are you using the hormone data to uh, predict outcomes like and what outcomes are they if that's even how it is yes well i think the so the first starting point is menstrual tracking so let's just record when you have your periods so i can check that they are regular and notate annotate if you're feeling a certain way because then we can see if there are any recurring themes patterns but what would be really lovely if we can match that up with uh, what's actually happening, what the hormone levels are, you see? Yes. Um, because it's very difficult to distinguish between REDS, relative energy deficiency in sport, and perimenopause, because lots of the symptoms, if we just went on symptoms, very important the symptoms, but they can be confusing and they could be, it could be either way. So it would be really lovely if we had more detail about the hormones. And uh, blood testing is the gold standard as it stands, right? So that's simple as that. But there's no way 
we can ask a woman to do a blood test every day of the you know the cycle that's anyway i know i don't want to be i don't want to do that i would say if i never do that i would never suggest something that's like no i'm not doing that anyway so this is where the mathematical fancy maths comes in that if we can take a limited amount of samples we could predict we can model using fancy maths artificial intelligence techniques what this woman's uh, fluctuations in hormones uh, might look like yeah so we've done some early work in that and now we're looking to make that even more uh, refined, even more um, accurate and mashing it up for the woman and all of the other. I think the important thing is that it's it's very exciting and, and I love it all that, you know, um, fortunately, my husband's a mathematician, so that also makes it a lot very handy. Anyway, <laughs> so I love it, did, looking at all this detail, but then it's we always have to remember why, why are we doing this? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love it for the intellectual challenge, but it's got to be practical. So we must always put it in the context of what the woman's feeling and what's going on. But it just gives that extra level of detail for the woman. And again, the more information and understanding you have as an individual, right, it just, it does empower you. It just makes you feel, okay, you need to understand it and appreciate it. And then it makes it more likely that you're motivated or able to make any changes that you need and then of course then you can go back and repeat this and see uh, and then it's always encouraging to have a feedback yourself it's like okay i i did these things that nikki suggested and now yes number one hopefully you do feel better and number two we have the evidence that this is has an effect so it's just like it's just like an athlete training you know the coach suggests you do something or other and then you do it and then you do a repeat whatever it is. I remember my 400 meter time trial uh, test for swimming. Anyway, you do it and you see, oh, have I improved? You want the data and the evidence to show that that's worked. So the similar thing here, uh, we can quantify what's going on. And now I love that because it's like you can then also, of course, um, track not everything that's going on. And so you can sort of marry up, you know, a heavy training load with a particular symptom and then as you say, like if that, if you can make changes there and then potentially the outcome will be different. So that's, you know, the more information you have, the more informed Absolutely. you can be with your decisions for sure. Exactly. And monitoring as well, by the way. Yeah, is the for thing. sure. Because lots of, that's the other, just to mention that quickly, if I may, yeah. that sometimes people, we want a quick fix. Yeah. And you do one thing, you do one hormone test, one something. Yes. And you, then you think that's it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, whatever. But actually, you know, it is literally a lifelong work for you personally, um, you know, that you have to uh, monitor these things to see, to see how they change. And also you will have to change as you go through your life. So, uh, you know, my husband, I know he would love to be 21 again, but, you know, <laughs> it, it's not going to happen. So, so you have to change what you're doing to match what your body's doing. Okay, so I think when we talk about monitoring, we're talking about, you know, big time scales. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, like decades, uh, years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not suggesting you need to do a blood test every day of your life, but what I'm saying is that putting it in the overall context, uh, it's get to know your body. <laughs> yeah, that's a great uh, way to put it because a lot of people might just go to the, the doctors on a random mid-morning or mid-afternoon and get hormone tests because they think something's wrong, and then that potentially isn't actually giving them a very good picture because of no, exactly. the potential the dying rhythm or, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Now, Nikki, finally, just to you mentioned briefly three sort of dietary related um, components that we should be aware of. And just it is big picture because everyone is different. But I wondered whether that was because in your experience, protein, vitamin D are things which people are potential sort of starting points in the diet if things are awry. So are these the important things you see in the diet that we need to be considering? Yeah, well, actually, female hormones especially, but quite a lot of hormones in general, love complex carbohydrates, which slightly goes against the trend that carbohydrates are evil or something. I don't know. So I'm not saying you should go out and eat a whole chocolate cake at every meal. So I'm not saying that. Uh, and if you are a type 2 diabetic and you are overweight, then yes, you probably should be keeping an eye on how much carbohydrate you eat. But for you know, quite a lot of us, especially if you are an athlete and you are training, then actually carbohydrates are your friend because you need those to um, provide the energy for the higher intensity type exercise, right? Which, you know, you will have. Even me as a very slow athlete, though, I will need some more intensity when I, there's a little hill in Richmond Park. Yeah. I will, you know, you do. So you do need some carbohydrate for your exercise because there will be little bursts of intensity. Um, but also, like I say, if you've used that all that carbohydrate up for, you know, the exercise, then you won't have enough spare for the nurturing your hormones and your hormones need feeding. So actually that's carbohydrate and also the timing of it. Spacing it out during the day is quite important because I see quite a lot of athletes that don't have much carbohydrate during the day and then they have a massive evening meal. And so it makes it very uneven distribution. Hormones don't like that either. So uh, feed your hormones with with consistent level of, of carbohydrate that's correct for you as an individual. You know, um, Protein, absolutely very, very important, especially as we get older. Because remember, the growth hormone is declining. We tend to lose muscle mass. So you need to give the building blocks the protein for the muscles. So protein, definitely very important. And vitamin D um, is an interesting one because it's not really a vitamin. I'm claiming it for the hormones. <laughs> it is actually a hormone. And also it's really strange because you can only get a certain amount through the diet. Unlike most vitamins, you get it through the diet. It's actually the action of sunlight on your skin. Um, and certainly here in the UK, um, well, actually it's a little bit sunny today, but even in, in the UK, even if you walk around naked all winter, you won't get enough uh, sunlight on the skin. So fortunately, that's not my recommendation. <laughs> and you do have to, We it's recommended here by Public Health England, we all take vitamin D at, at the very least during the winter months. Personally, I take it all year round, actually, unless I go on holiday. Uh, we do, uh, you know, our annual cycling trip to Mallorca, and I don't bother to pack my vitamin D then, to be honest. But generally, keeping an eye on that vitamin D, because it is actually a hormone and has so many effects throughout the body on bone, uh, muscle, uh, immunity and well-being. Yeah. So that's something very, very simple that's often overlooked. So probably that's another thing. Um, maybe listeners, you know, the sleep and the vitamin D. Are you taking supplements? And if you're not, um, certainly during the winter months, at the very least, you should. Yeah, and and New Zealand is the same with winter and it is the same, exactly. Yeah, 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 for sure. Nikki, um, you've been amazing. I feel like we've almost done this whirlwind tour of yeah. sort of picking up major <laughs> sort of like points in your book. Can you please point people to where they are able to purchase your hormones, health, and human potential um, book? Sure. Well, it's available on Amazon. 
uh, worldwide. Uh, and it, but also, you, if you want to, you can get it direct from my uh, publisher's website, Sokoa Books. So either. Um, so yeah, I hope everyone enjoys it and uh, leave a nice review. No, I'm slow. Yeah, no, uh, I love it. Nice? No, no, yeah, anyway. Um, so that's where you can uh, get it from. And it's a book, I think you can read it as you want. Yeah. You can re read it from act one through act two, or you can dip into it. You know, you can think, okay, I'm just going straight to that scene about, uh, you know, middle age or whatever it is, you know, you can go straight in there if you want to certain things. It's it's up to you but then you have it there and you and you can dip into it or read it cover to cover as as you wish um so available at either of those places amazon or sequoia books maybe you could put the link there yeah um, totally but otherwise uh also on my own website nikki k fitness um i've got put a new page saying book and that also has got uh you know the links where you can uh purchase the book and if by any chance you're in the uk I've got an event on tomorrow. Uh, we did one yesterday in Cambridge University, which was oh, great. Amazing. Had a great turnout for that. And yeah. then tomorrow uh, I'm at UCL, the University oh. College London. And yes. then in a few weeks' time, I'm at Rafa, the clubhouse in London, uh, with the lovely Chrissy Wellington having a chat yeah, with amazing. her. Yeah, um, amazing. So if you are, by any chance, <laughs> around uh, in 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 uh, England and you're free on those dates uh, do do come along those are free events and again the links on my website um we just it's free but just click on the event bright so just we keep a tab uh tab on, on numbers. numbers you know yeah Nikki, yeah, exactly. that would be amazing. And I feel a bit gutted that I will not be um, on that side of the world this year in December because that would have been an amazing event. Um, your, I will absolutely put the links to your book and to your website and to Thanks. our original podcast as well. And um, thank you so much for putting your wealth of experience down on paper in a really readable and really enjoyably it's really enjoyable to read so um you know and whilst it isn't a textbook it is still you know I did appreciate the science and the you know that it's an, a very easy to um understand uh sort of um uh I'm not going to say textbook but Informa information what exactly so like i said you can read it as you want in whatever yeah. order but also you can read it eat, re read it how you want you can just read it as a story yeah or if you really want i put references there so if you're really interested and and you really like want that detail it's like oh why is she saying that there will be a little reference and at the back of the book you saw there's a whole stack of references so again if you're really interested in something go and have a look at the references and you can delve into that in further detail you know perfect that's lovely Nikki thank you for your time you have a great day and um, very good luck for your event tomorrow night and in a couple of weeks time thanks so much All right, hopefully you enjoyed that interview she is such a wealth of information and her book is beautifully written so for anyone who really does appreciate English along with science I think that you'll really love it uh, and as I said prior to the interview we will pop a link in the show notes to Nikki's new book next week on the podcast I have a conversation with an old friend of mine Dr Greg Brown all about hyperbaric oxygen treatment or 
HBOT, this emerging technology with regards to health, emerging in New Zealand, but actually it's been around for decades in Europe and the States. And we discuss all of that plus the benefits of it next week on the podcast. For now though, you can catch me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, over on Twitter and Instagram at Mickey Willardin, or head on over to my website, mickeywillardin.com, where in addition to booking a one-on-one consult with me, you can sign up to any one of my nutrition-related plans. All right, team, you have a great week. Speak soon. Bye.